save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to introduce you to one of our great sponsors, someone we work with on the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Miss-Inc.com. They're social media problem solvers. They do social media marketing and content writing, and have been in business for more than 10 years, so well before the big three even got together for the Miami Heat. They believe in a personal, customized approach to marketing, and as such, they only represent businesses that are serious about taking their visibility to the next level. Social media marketing requires much more than just a blog or profiles on a website like Facebook or Twitter. It takes smart strategy and a daily interactive focus. Miss Inc. doesn't believe in cookie-cutter strategies or unboxing your business in with others in your industry. you got to check them out at miss Inc. Dot com Again, that's 305-537-6465. That's 305-537-6465. And now, on with the show. Welcome into another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. This is episode number 63 of the pod. If you want to subscribe, please do so. Send a review as well. We are on iTunes and Google Play. The reviews in particular with a five-star rating help us move up whatever charts it is that we need to move up in order to grow this into the mega empire that we want it to be. If you want to check out the other podcasts in the Five Reasons Sports Network, check out Miami Heat Beat, Three Yards Per Carry, Balls Cast, and Pitch Invasion, which is up and rolling for the World Cup. Ethan, today we are joined by a member of one of those podcasts, and that is Miami Heat Beat, and that is Nikias Duncan, who is on Twitter, at Nikias MBA. His Twitter name is Man Milbert, for reasons that I think will have to be explained. <laughs> he is also on at B-Ball Breakdown as well, if you want to check him out there. A, for me, in terms of a content producer in the Five Reasons Sports Network, no one's writing is better than Nikias Duncan's, and we're going to run through the five options, or the five teams, I should say, that are the best chance at the moment to go and threaten the Golden State Warriors, or we're going to co- try and construct plans for these five teams to go and tackle the Warriors. Nikias Duncan, thanks for doing it, man. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate all the high praise there. I'm not sure I deserve it all, but I'll take it anyway. And on top of that, the pun king as well. We might have to, we'd have to explore that at the end of the podcast. I'll take it. <laughs> All right, so uh, Ethan, we're going to go ahead and run through the five teams that we think can be constructed to go and challenge the Golden State Warriors, obviously off of a playoff run that ended with, uh, frankly, an anticlimactic finish with them just running through the Cleveland Cavaliers like it was easy. But in starting, I do want to begin with the team that came closest to beating them, and if not for an injury, although there was an injury on the other side too, might have had a chance to even go and do it, and that is the Houston Rockets. I feel like it's now kind of sort of underrated how difficult that challenge was because we have now seen the NBA Finals, and because that's the final thing we see with all Golden State going to win the next six championships, they're unstoppable. But, Nikaias, this was a team that registered a the first legitimate challenge to the Golden State Warriors in the Kevin Durant era for you, if you're building a case for how they're going to kick on from these Western Finals, maybe try and improve their team or figure out a way to go, in, go to to go again next year, what would you do if you're Daryl Morey? Um, the first thing you do is you try to see where LeBron's head at, mm-hmm. because LeBron, if you're talking about individual players, LeBron's the best player <laughs> that you can um, acquire to help you on that task. Uh, if you can't get LeBron, you make calls see where Paul George is at. If he's not sold on Los Angeles. And I'm not sure that he is, even though the reporting's out there. Um, I think uh, opt-in and trade is definitely possible there. If you want to throw in Eric Gordon, um, any of their young prospects, which are like two, maybe. (laughs) Um, Maybe go Joe Chi, Eric Gordon. Um, Houston has all their first-round picks for the next six or seven years or so. So you could package one or maybe two if Paul George lets OKC know that he's leaving. Maybe that's an option there. Um, from there, if you can't get either stars, um, I think you really just run it back because the blueprint is there. Um, I don't think any team in the league really switched as um, rigorously as Houston did 
And not only did they switch a lot, they switched smartly. Um, Zach Lowe wrote about it a couple of weeks ago about how they didn't switch everything. Um, they had very specific rules in place on how to defend Golden State. So they have the blueprint. They also have um, two of the best isolation players in the league in James Harden and Chris Paul. Um, so I don't think they're too far off as is. But I think um, adding a star would definitely boost their chances a bit. Ethan, before you kind of go on from there, I do want to ask you if you think the Houston Rockets actually established a blueprint or a model for other teams to go and copy. Because we saw Daryl Morey with some quotes about how he was obsessed with how to stop the Warriors, and the Warriors were his obsession for the last two years. Do you think what they did in that Western Finals is the blueprint for someone to go and copy? Well, I think it could be. But I think the thing we need to talk about, too, on this uh, is that sometimes you develop a blueprint to beat the team in front of you. And again, we're expecting Golden State to still be that team for the next two or three years. But what's always interesting is sometimes the team that you have to beat changes. And I think we saw it was something I was just talking about. I was on the Miami Heat podcast, Miami Heat beat podcast tonight. And we were talking about what Riley was trying to put together, um, you know, between 2010 and 2014. And we were always talking about, all right, how do you sort of stay ahead of the Spurs, right? Like, I mean, as long as Duncan Ginobili and Parker were still there and Kawhi was developing, that the Spurs were really the team that you were worried about in the same way that Indiana was trying to build a team to beat Miami. And before that, Miami was trying to build a team to beat Boston. And what we saw was Golden State kind of came out of nowhere, right? And so even when we look back at the 2014 Heat team, the way that Pat was patching it together and thought you'd sort of uh, created a blueprint to play with Indiana and Boston and and uh, and San Antonio, there was a totally different style that developed. So let's just make the assumption, though, that Golden State is going to stay at this level and they are still the team to beat. If that's the case, then Houston does have the best blueprint for them, I think. And I think it gets into what Nikias is talking about. Their ability uh, to switch to switch smartly, but also to have two isolation players that can create for you. I think that's absolutely critical against Golden State. You have to be able to attack with multiple players. And that was the whole idea behind what Morey did this summer by giving up. We talk about the pieces they may have now to give up. They don't have that much to give up because they gave up like seven pieces to get Chris Paul last summer. Um, so they really depleted uh, their depth. And then they patched it together with with veterans like you know Tucker and Bamute and some of the others. I want to look at this from a cap perspective, though, to Nikias, because, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, look, you make the play for LeBron. You see if his family wants to go there. I've heard there's interest from his family in Houston. So I do think it registers as a possibility. Obviously, he likes playing with Chris Paul. But uh, when you look at what they currently uh, have on the roster from a cap perspective, uh, you're talking about having to re-sign Chris Paul to huge money. Um, you have James Harden on the books for more than nine, more than $30 million. You still have Ryan Anderson on the books for more than 20. You have Gordon on the books for 13.5, although I think that's probably a movable contract. You have P.J. Tucker at almost eight, Nene at three and a half, and then not much else at that point. Let's say you add LeBron, Nikias, to, uh, to Houston, uh, and they have LeBron, Chris Paul, and James Harden, but aren't able to add a lot of great other pieces. They get guys to take less money because it's LeBron, because it's an attractive city. A lot of NBA players like playing there, but they don't add a ton in terms of frontline talent. How do you think that will work, and how do those three guys share the ball? Because I know that Chris Paul can play off the ball a little bit. We've seen James Harden play off the ball a little bit. Obviously, LeBron can do it as well, but all three guys are best with the ball in their hands. How does that work from a basketball perspective? Um, well, it's just going to be a lot of isolation. We saw LeBron shift to a lot of iso ball in his last couple of years in Cleveland. Um, with ball, with LeBron being such a great player with the ball in his hands, I think that op, um, will open up a lot more off-ball opportunities for Chris Paul and James Harden. And if you look into what um, Houston would do with Eric Gordon when they ran a lot of their off-screen action when Chris Paul went to the bench, I think you could see a lot more of that with James Harden. And he has ranked highly in spot up attempts over the last two or three spot up efficiency, excuse me, over the last two or three years. So I think that would be a um, relatively easy adjustment for him. Um, I'm not too concerned about the um, the touches between those three. See, I, I am because I think you saw in the playoffs. It really seemed now in the regular season they figure out a way to commingle, and I think that's at least in part because of the pace that they were playing, but. 
in the postseason, there were times where it was either Paul or it was Harden, and particularly in the beginning of that Warriors series, I saw a lot of people having a go at Chris Paul, and my thought was, well, if James Harden's dribbling the ball for 18 seconds of every possession, what is Chris Paul supposed to do but watch? And so I feel like it would require a little bit more complicated of a scheme in order to get all three of those guys involved, or maybe even a trade for one of those guys to go somewhere else. I would favor Harden out of any of the three of them, but I, I really don't see the basketball fit there. Um, I think the one thing that worked against Golden State, we saw it in the 2016 finals, we saw it in the Western Conference finals this year, is um, a team being able to hunt Steph Curry out and, miss, and hunt for other mismatches in isolation. And I think with LeBron, he has so much gravity as a ball handler, that's going to um, open up things for others. Um, James Harden, teams are kind of content to let him dribble out there, but he's a deadly isolation scorer, so you can't let him cook for too long. Um, if you take more of a burden off of Chris Paul, I think that saves him for big shots later on in the game. So I think there's a way for um, Mike D'Antoni to stagger those three and kind of spread those touches around. I think that would um, be something for them to work out during the regular season. But in the playoffs, I'm not too much worried about it. Nikias, what would you pay Clint Capella? Because, I mean, that's another question here. You look at the record last year when Capella, Harden, and Paul played together. They were practically uh, unbeatable. And then, you know, again, that team almost beat the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, do you break the bank for him? Like, w what do you do with him? Because, I, again, we talk about not being able to add a lot of other pieces. But if they don't have their big, um, and, and then I don't know what the other options are. I guess they could add DeAndre Jordan because uh, clearly he wants to play in Houston. He's from <laughs> there. He's from there, right? He's made that. He's made that pretty clear. But what do you, I mean? What do you pay Clint Capella? Is, is he a max guy in your view? Um, I do think he's a max guy. Um, he's a great defender. He's one of the best role men in the NBA. Um, we've seen him grow as a passer a little bit. He's made a little. He's made more plays in short roll situations over the last couple of years. And um, he's the rare center that can switch out on the perimeter and allow you to play small ball with a center on the floor. So I definitely think he's a max big in this NBA. Um, he probably would be a casualty if Cleveland, I mean, if Houston was able to add LeBron. But if not, Max and Capella definitely make sense to me. You don't give up on him. And he's their one young prospect. Is his value better than any of the other like in terms of what you want in a playoff series not you know obviously if you're looking for scoring if you're looking for other things but I'm but to me Capella is almost like more valuable than even like peak Boogie Cousins right because because Boogie Cousins doesn't defend the way that Capella does to me the big's role is not to have the ball funnel through them or for the offense to be you know centered around a big to me it's mm -hmm. about the defending and the switching and the rolling and just sort of maximizing that role in terms of Capella's value to a playoff team, like where would you rank him in terms of centers in the entire league? I would probably say somewhere in the top five or six off the top mm -hmm. of my head. To DeMarcus Cousins' point, I think my trepidation with DeMarcus Cousins is more of the turnovers because I think when engaged, we have seen him defend at a high level for spurts. He has quick hands. He can move. He has a long wingspan. He's strong on the block. He has the tools to be a defender, and he's not a dumb defender. It's more that he'll get frustrated and then he won't get back in transition and then that kind of spirals. But um, I do agree with your overall point, um, funneling the offense through a big in today's NBA, especially with teams switching and um, a lot of weak side help coming over. I think that is not the way to go unless you have like an Hakeem and there isn't one out there. The closest thing we have out there is Joel Embiid and we saw what Boston did to him in the second round. So, um, yeah, I think Capella's up there. So let me throw this at you then. If, if he's up there, if I was to give you a choice, if I was to say you can add LeBron James and you have James Harden, but you can only have one. You can have Chris Paul or you can have Clint Cabela, Capella. Which of those two guys give you gives you a better chance to beat Golden State? I would say Capella would, but I think just with how Paul came to Houston and how much James Harden um, vouched for him, I just don't see how that choice being made. But I would probably take Capella just because he is younger and being able to have a guy that can crash the glass and still allow you to play small ball is very valuable against Golden State. And even with Cleveland getting swept in this year's finals, they still had success on the offensive glass with Tristan Thompson. So I think Clint Capella is a guy that could definitely help you there. And with Chris Paul's age, I'm not sure you make that bet. All right, before we move on, one word answer from both of you. If Chris Paul was healthy, would the Rockets have beaten the Warriors and Yes. Ethan? No, no. I, I think the Warriors find a way to win that series, but... Um, I could certainly see Nikias's point there uh, uh, because I'm not just being up three, two, but just the way that series was flowing. 
But I still feel like when Golden State is engaged, I almost feel at this point like the Warriors are so bored so much of the time that they that they would that they would need to be down three two. Can you be but, bored but, in the sixth game of the Western yeah, Finals though? But, but they they were bored in the first half of the finals in this in that series, and then you know, and you saw what they did in the third quarter. I mean, even if you extrapolate Golden Golden State's numbers throughout the entire postseason, they were basically flat in the first, second, and fourth quarters. I mean, but they were like a plus eight. In the third, uh, because it's like at halftime they recognized, oh bleep, you know, we we need to actually start playing now. So I kind of feel like it would have been a little bit like the Oklahoma City series uh, with Durant with OKC that that the Warriors got pressed. They were down three one. Uh, there were some strange circumstances in that series, obviously, and some meltdowns down the stretch by the Thunder. But mm-hmm. I, I think it would have been the same circumstance. But yes, you can certainly make the argument that Houston was closer than anybody else. And I do think the fact that they lost, okay. Uh, is good for them long term because I don't think LeBron uh, considers them if they win I, because I don't think his legacy could handle it if he went to because if Houston wins that series they win the championship right I mean do we all agree on that right yeah. so yeah. okay okay so if they win that series they win the championship and LeBron is not going to join uh, a cha- he's not going to pull a Durant there he he he's too le- legacy conscious to do that so I think the fact that Houston lost I also think and we'll talk about them on the pod I think the fact that Philly lost when they did uh, helps them in the pursuit of LeBron because LeBron can be perceived as somebody in Houston's case who gets them over the top and in Philadelphia's case can be perceived as somebody who sort of shows them the way. And so I, I think ultimately it's good for the Rockets that they lost. The other part on the Chris Paul thing is I asked it to you as a hypothetical, Nikias, but of course LeBron's not going to go to Houston if Chris Paul's not there. So I, I think mm-hmm. uh, I'm just curious from a basketball standpoint because I agree with you. I think if you had a core of Capella, Harden, and LeBron, uh, that team clearly wins the championship. I don't think there's any question. Um, I, with LeBron, uh, Chris Paul, and Harden, I think they do, but I think there would be uh, a few more things uh, to work out. Before we continue on with Nikias Duncan, let's hear a word from one of our sponsors, Greenlight Tech. For an athlete to be successful, he needs a team. Same as in business. That's why more small to mid-sized businesses in South Florida are choosing Greenlight Tech, the full-service concierge IT company that gets it right. Greenlight Tech advises, monitors, supports, and keeps your important data backed up and secure. They'll even manage your vendors. Call Greenlight Tech at 561-325-9997. That's 561-325-9997. Mention five reasons and get a free assessment. Sign up and your first month is free. Be unstoppable. Visit Greenlight Tech. That's greenlighttek.com. As long as we're building out teams to try and beat Golden State, I would say as we get to part two here, the best candidate out of the Eastern Conference is the Boston Celtics. Now, I think there's been a lot of conversation, particularly as the playoffs went on, about the way that they're built because they got to the Eastern Finals. They got to a Game 7 at home without Gordon Hayward and without Kyrie Irving. Nikias, first off, if they had those two guys, are they in the finals? And if they do get to the finals with those two guys, now it's very hard to know because they played less than one half of basketball together, but mm-hmm. what kind of legitimate challenge do you think they would have registered against the Warriors if they merely returned the same team? Um, I just I don't know how to answer that because so much changed with the Hayward injury specifically. Um, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum got so much of a usage bump just because Hayward wasn't there, and I'm not sure how much they grow. If Hayward's there, I think they will get to this point eventually just because, by all accounts, they have great work ethics. They obviously have the upside, and they're incredibly talented already. But I don't think they get there that quickly. But also, Hayward was a 22-5-4 guy last year, so I think they would definitely enjoy his um, his talent. They missed Kyrie a lot in that playoff series against Cleveland because once Terry Rozier went cold, they had no one that could really create out of thin air because Jason Tatum was um, – between him and Jay LeBron, they were chasing LeBron around. And then Tristan Thompson continued to give Al Horford the blues, so the offense just kind of sputtered. Um, I think there's definitely a path for them to get to the finals if they had those two, just because of how much they would improve the offense. But I'm just, I don't know how much the young guys would improve. Okay, so now that we have seen the development of the young guys, Ethan, do you think with the, the, the top five that they have, or basically the lineup they're going to run out in crunch time, which is Kyrie, Jalen Brown, Tatum, Hayward, and Horford all on the floor at the same time. 
Is that good enough, do you think, in terms of... Because it's not just about having two guys. It's about having four or five if you're going to go against the Warriors. Do you think that combination of five is good enough without adding any more? I think on paper it is. Um, I think they have five All-NBA candidates on that team. Uh, you know, Maybe you say Jalen Brown is a little bit further behind in that regard, but I, I think if he's in the right situation, uh, that could be part of his future. And clearly Horford is, Kyrie is, Hayward was, uh, and, uh, and, and Tatum's going to be. So, I mean, you have five guys like that. Now, I don't know what they're going to do with Marcus Smart. Uh, I don't think they should overpay for Marcus Smart. I think they should let someone else overpay Marcus Smart. And then they have Rozier as a backup, which I think is fine uh, in kind of a dual role there and they have some other pieces uh you know that, that i think are, are pretty useful and then danny stocked has a bunch of guys stashed overseas so i think uh you know in terms of filling out the bench i think they can do a better job with that next year i mean my only question on this uh is going to be fit um and i think brad stevens is as good as anybody at figuring that stuff out but look i mean Kyrie's a ball dominant point guard right uh, Jason Tatum is really good with a ball in his hands, even at this stage. Um, Jalen Brown can do a little bit of both, um, but obviously you don't want to stun his development. And then Hayward, uh, you know, was Utah's best ball handler. So you have those four guys, and including the way that you use Horford, I'm just not exactly sure how that's going to work. I mean, I think they have the ability to switch a lot of stuff. I mean, I think they were able to make Kyrie, you know, more than a serviceable defender in that system, which I don't know that he'd been consistently before. Um, But if I were them, and I think this is the other thing that's hanging over them a little bit. I mean, if these reports about Kyrie, you know, wanting to explore free agency are true in 2019, and I believe they probably are um, just having been around Kyrie for a year, having been around his father, a little bit of that year uh, and how involved he is in situations and the ties to New York, to that area in particular. I think if you're Boston, you have to at least explore what you can get for Kyrie on the open market. Um, I, I, I know that there's some questions about Rozier after the way he played later in that playoff series. But I, I, I think if you can look to me, this is it. it I don't know that New Orleans is going to make Anthony Davis available anytime soon. Um, and, you know, the way he played after Cousins went down. But I think you need to look into something like that, at least, um, particularly with the assets you have. You're the only team in the league that can make a plausible uh, offer for someone like that. And I just I'm wondering, Nikias, like, uh, again, you've got Kyrie, you've got Hayward, you've got Tatum. How are they going to make that work on one team? I think what Houston showed us in the Western Conference Finals is that you need um, Houston and Boston, for that matter, is that you need multiple guys that can score in isolation when the shot clock goes down or they can hunt out mismatches. Because I think mismatch hunting is the one way that you can score against Golden State switching defense. And the fact that Boston has so many ball handlers, I think, votes well for them in a slowed-down series. Because if you're playing at a high tempo, Golden State's going to blitz you. It doesn't matter who you are. If you plan on slowing things down, you need guys that can make plays and that can abuse a mismatch. Um, like Marcus Morris was Boston's, what, sixth or seventh best player this year. And he was a guy that can get you a bucket from 18 feet in whenever you need him to, if you want to try to hide a point guard on him. So um, I, don't, I don't have many concerns about that. Um, I'd be more concerned about the money than the on-court fit. In terms of if you're going to say if you're going to extend Kyrie long term, then mm-hmm. the, the amount of money you'd have to commit to him. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. He's young enough to justify whatever that long-term contract is going to be. So for me, I have two things. So number one, I'm a little bit concerned about Al Horford because he's going to be 33 this summer. And so I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to be because he was tremendous in the Eastern playoffs. But I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to be peak Al Horford. And then the second thing to me is I don't I don't care about impending free agency. I don't care about any of that stuff with Kyrie. Right now, the Boston Celtics are the are, are to me at worst at the end of this offseason going to be co-favorites to win the Eastern Conference. Because if LeBron goes to Philly, then I think they're co-favorites to win the East, and it's going to be a tremendous showdown in the Eastern, in the Eastern Finals. If LeBron goes to the West, if LeBron stays in Cleveland, the, the Boston Celtics are the favorites to get out of the Eastern Conference. And to mm. me, you are not winning in round three and round four with the current Celtics roster unless you have a player like Kyrie Irving. Because of what he proved in the finals, scoring multiple 40-point games, and like you, like you mentioned, Nikias, attacking mismatches, playmaking out of isolation, like 
in in the switching era, it's going to become an increasing priority for ball dominant guards to be able to play in isolation. And look, I don't find it particularly fun to watch, but it's going to be super important going forward. And I just think Kyrie Irving, as much as I, I don't like talking about intangible stuff, he has the confidence, the irrational confidence, the arrogance to think I can go out and win finals games because he's done it. He hit the biggest shot since, you know, Ray Allen hit the three against the Spurs. Like he is to me at a stage where I trust him implicitly in playoff games because he has mm-hmm. the kind of game that is perfect for playoff games. I would not even consider trading him unless you're basically handed Anthony Davis on a silver platter. And even then I'm having a conversation. I'm not pulling the trigger on it straight away. Um, I would probably disagree a little bit with Anthony Davis point just because of how much trouble he has given Golden State. Um, I think Anthony Davis is at worst the third best player in the NBA right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's a bit of a hot take. But I think you definitely give up, especially when you bring up the Horford point about him getting older. I think you definitely. So, okay. okay. So so if I said Nikias, it's Kyrie, Jalen Brown and the Kings pick for Anthony Davis. Would you do that? Um, Yeah, I'd do that. Okay, Ethan, would you do that? Absolutely. In a heartbeat. And I, and I love Jalen Brown, uh, but I'm not worried about the pick. I mean, I, the, the reality is they, they have accumulated so much. But if you're talking about having a roster then of what you're building with Anthony Davis, Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward, um, and that and that's your core. And you still have Horford uh, as a useful big here for the next couple of years, because because I, look, I, I look at Horford the way I looked at Bosch. I mean, if Bosch doesn't have the blood clots. I always felt that Chris could have played very effectively uh, with his style of play 35, 36 years old. Um, so I, so I, and I think Horford can probably do something close to the same thing. I see them kind of in the same light. But yeah, I think if you have that core, because I think what we're forgetting a little bit, and Akai, you mentioned this, um, is just how good Gordon Hayward was, you know, in his last year in Utah. And, and I think that's gotten obscured a little bit. Uh, first, because Boston had success without him, which uh, some of that I do credit to Stevens, uh, but also because Utah had some success without him because they they sort of you know caught a you know a generational rookie. Um, it's it's kind know, of it's at, kind at of funny. thirteen it, pick. It's kind of funny that both Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell benefited from the fact that Gordon Hayward was not either with their team or active on their team. Like mm-hmm. the, our two most promising young players have connections to Gordon Hayward not being on their team. And so it, you're right. It, it does it does get pretty easy to kind of obfuscate his his value. Yeah. And look, I mean, uh, I mean, you look what he did with Utah on a team that could not score uh, the year, you know, the last last season, the season before this one. Uh, and Gordon was really their their only effective uh, scorer that year, and and as Zacchaeus mentioned, I mean he filled up the rest of the stat sheet too, and he's a plus defender. So, uh, you know, I, I think if you had if you had Hayward, Davis, and Tatum, uh, you know, Rozier with another point guard that you bring in uh, with all the other assets that you have, uh, I I think you'd be just fine. But but yeah, Anthony Davis is the only guy. Let me throw this one at you, Zacchaeus, because the other name that's been mentioned with Boston is would you move the two wings for Kawhi? Would you move Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to get Kawhi? Um, I would not move both to get Kawhi. I would make I would move one and maybe a pick, but I would maybe not even move. two picks. I would use like I would use the the Kings pick and the Clippers pick maybe. Like they they have other picks that they can like they have so many picks to make that work that I wouldn't throw the two guys in there. I think if Boston's gonna trade their young guys for a wing, it probably makes more sense to just make the play at LeBron honestly, mm-hmm. just because he would be a guy that could effectively run point for you. Shoot, trade Kyrie back for LeBron. If <laughs> that would be an all-time NBA trade. My I God, mean, would that be incredible? I mean, if you're rolling out um, LeBron, Jalen, Jason, Hayden, um, Hayward, and Horford, you Good have God. five guys, six, eight, yeah. or better. But, 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 but uh, from a basketball perspective, it would be unbelievable. But, I, I, I mean, LeBron in Boston, man, the way that they've treated him through the years. and ah, what he don't did, forget about it. And what uh, – it's Boston. I mean, it's Boston, <laughs> all right? And, and, and what he did to them, okay, in 2012 – uh, 2018, other season. 2018, 2016, 2000. I mean, I just let's let's just let's just go back through the years stealing Ray Allen. Uh, I mean, there's just I mean, yeah. so much history there. I mean, Paul Pierce would still believe that he's the best small forward uh, in Celtics history, ahead of both both Bird and LeBron, even though Pierce's numbers don't get come anywhere close. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, I just can't I, like that one's been thrown out there. And, mm-hmm. and and not only that, but the whole, you know, shut the bleep up moment with Danny Ainge, oh, like that we talk about pot all the time. Like I, you, uh, you can't I mean, he can't go to Boston. But <laughs> but yeah, it, that that would be I mean, that look, the NBA loves that kind of drama. I mean, trading him for Kyrie from a basketball perspective, uh, 
makes a make makes a lot of sense. I, and and the thing with Ainge, I mean, Nakias, I mean, you look at it now. I mean, you know, and not only did he get Jason Tatum, uh, he stole a draft pick from Philadelphia to do it, um, which is <laughs> which is which is pretty pretty unbelievable. I mean, uh, you know, all the criticism of Ainge early on, but you look at the last few picks. I mean, Jalen Brown was the absolute right pick at three. Uh, Tatum was the absolute right pick at three. Uh, stealing Irving for virtually nothing. I think the thing that he's benefited from, and this uh, we're going to talk about the Heat a little bit later, but I think this is where the Heat got off track last offseason, is that I think, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Nikaias, Stevens and Spolster make players look better than they are. Um, and I feel like Danny Ainge understands that in Boston and understands that Jay Crowder is going to go somewhere else and not be as good. Isaiah is going to go somewhere else. And I know the injury played a part, but not be as good. Avery Bradley is going to go somewhere else and not be as good uh, and, and let those guys go. Sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Whereas, like, Spolstra helped mold, you know, Dion and JJ and, uh, you know, those guys into better players. And then Pat decided to pay them what another team might pay him, pay for the Mirage, um, which, I, I mean, do you, do you have any belief in that theory? Because that, that struck me over the past year. No, I think that's definitely fair. Um, I would I didn't even have an issue with bringing back Dion and JJ in a vacuum. I think the issue is committing four years to both. And I that just just to tie up Derek um to tie up the cap like that just didn't make much sense, especially considering there's no real star on the roster. You don't have much pick capital to trade for one or to draft one. So I'm not sure why you commit that long to those guys. And with Spo being as good as a coach as he is, why not sign another one year guy and you know just repeat the cycle until you find someone that you really want to get? Chris, you want to go through your list again? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I feel like Ty- we've done this on the pile 12 times. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I, the, the most obvious were it was what? Tyreek Evans, Jeff Green, mm-hmm. and then they could have gotten Greg Monroe as a buyout if they wanted to rather than Olenek. Like, uh, there, uh, there was a, particularly, and, and we've talked about this before, but Pat in the buyout market has done some work and. I, there, there's just going to be an increasing number of guys available for cheap because people are running, our teams are running out of cap space. So it, it was always on for, for, for the Heat to just roll it again. But I can understand if you're Eric Spolster, be like, all right, I did it once. We were 11 and 30. It took me half a season to figure it out. I don't want to go through that again. So maybe that was also part of the thinking. All right, so let's move on now to the next team. And as long as we're talking about Eastern Conference teams that can be contenders to beat, uh, the Golden State Warriors. I'd say Philly is probably next up. So we'll we'll talk about LeBron in a second because obviously LeBron is kind of the background for all this. But Nikias, what's the case for Philly to make the next step? Because we kind of saw them plateau in the series against Boston. What's the next step? What can they do with that max salary space if it's not LeBron or with their other pick capital in order to go and make another trade that gets them in the in in that Finals championship game? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, number one, you look for internal improvement because Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are already borderline top 15-ish players. Um, You hope for um, Ben Simmons to get a little better on ball. Um, You will definitely want him to get some semblance of a jump shot or at least improve his his free throw shooting so when he does drive and get fouled, he can make teams pay that way. Um, Joel Embiid needs to cut down on turnovers, maybe um, sure up the shot selection a little bit. But, yeah, you just want the young core to grow. I think they have plenty of young talent, whoever's running it, Colangelo, his wife, um, any of the burner accounts, whoever. I think they did a good job of putting veterans in that locker room with the young talent there to help them grow. I think you repeat that cycle. And if you're going to look outside for talent, I think number one on the list should be Paul George. I think he's the perfect fit at small forward for them, a guy that is an elite defender, um, a great shooter off the ball, and a guy that can get you a bucket when you need him to. On the Three Yards Per Carry podcast, you get this type of analysis. Even if you count all those guys, there's only two players in the NFL that are producing three yards or better every time they even step on the field and run a route. And those are Julio Jones and Jakeem Grant. And this, too. So naturally, we have this dick that could set fire to a suitcase with us, okay? So 
No way to talk about your wife, mate. <laughs> Join us every Thursday for three yards per carry on the Five Reasons Sports Network, covering all of your Miami Dolphins news. It's interesting you mentioned Paul George because again, we we can't talk about this without the LeBron specter because I I still uh, I'm still holding to the case that that Philly is most likely for him. Um, uh, for for reasons beyond basketball, which uh, you know have a lot to do with his agency clutch and and kind of wanting to create a legacy with a third team that has a history um, in Philadelphia but doesn't have the kind of history that the Lakers have, where he won't be kind of compared to Kobe every three minutes. Which I, I don't know if that's something uh, he 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 wants to deal with. He's always had a very respectful relationship with Dr. J. Also, so uh, Dr. J. is one of the only guys uh, in the NBA of sort of the old heads who really embrace LeBron from the very beginning. Uh, and that matters to him. And he also loves Iverson. So I, I think there's a lot of things in Philadelphia that make sense in addition to sort of propping up Ben Simmons. Uh, so let's let me before we get to Paul George, because you say he's the best small forward fit. And I think in some ways I agree with you on that. But let's just look at LeBron possibility from a basketball standpoint, because I think from a business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense uh, mm-hmm. from a basketball standpoint. The thing that the pushback I keep getting is he and Simmons can't play together because uh, Simmons can't shoot. LeBron needs shooters around him. Simmons is best sort of making plays for others with the ball in his hands. That's where LeBron wants the ball to be for him. LeBron doesn't really want to post up. Uh, LeBron still wants to play up at the top. That's where Simmons operates from most mm-hmm. often. Can you see any scenario where, and assuming Embiid's going to be on the floor with him, mm-hmm. what would you have to put on the floor with Simmons and LeBron for that thing to work? Um, you would definitely need to find a way to bring J.J. Reddick back. And if they get LeBron to commit, I think J.J. Reddick would take whatever it takes <laughs> to remain in Philly. And they would need another elite shooter, whether that's keeping Dario Sarge and hoping that his shooting is sustainable because he took a big leap this year, or you look for another stretch for on the market. Um, but I would agree with all of those um, holdbacks there. I don't like the LeBron to Philly on-court fit. Um, you could see like James Harden, Chris Paul, LeBron play together because James Harden and Chris Paul both have value off the ball. Ben Simmons doesn't. And LeBron doesn't want to have it, it seems like. Because even back when he was in Miami, he was, um, by the numbers, one of, if not the best role man in basketball. But he would do it maybe 15 or 20 times a year, and it didn't make much sense. Um, it took Spo a couple of years to get LeBron to post up. So... If you're telling me that LeBron is actually serious about taking some of the load off of himself and committing to playing all ball, then I think absolutely they could work. But I think they're Ben Simmons and LeBron are both very intelligent players and they're both selfless players. But just by the track record we have with LeBron and what we know now about Simmons as a shooter and as a scorer in general, I just don't see the on-court fit. So you think that because Harden and Paul are better shooters, that that would make more sense than Simmons? Yeah. Okay, so I, I just think that... <sighs> I, I really think that LeBron could elevate that whole situation. Like you said, Nikias, the internal improvement element is something that, for me, from Philly's point of view, like it just isn't talked about enough. And I, I, people view it as excuse-making because they, you know, they looked really promising. They won a bunch of games towards the end of the regular season, and people thought that they should have beaten the Celtics in the state that they were in. But the fact that they're basically in year two and year one of their NBA careers – and they are going to get a lot better, appreciably better than they are now, just sort of knowing the game and knowing how to play the game. Like I think Ben Simmons still has a lot of growing to do, and I feel like he can at least reach a stage where he can have a 15-footer, if not a spot-up three. Like I think there's a role, because, I mean, LeBron and Dwayne figured it out together. Like Dwayne's never going to be a spot-up shooter. I, I think that the fit issues there... To me, because it's not three ball dominant guards, it's kind of it's two. I think that sort of makes a little bit more sense for distribution, and obviously you can split up their minutes a little bit. But I think Philly might not be totally ready for LeBron if he wants to win championships. Now, Ethan, you've mentioned the clutch things and all that, but I I, I think that if he's going to go and pick a young team, I think it's the Lakers to me more more than Philly, and we can go ahead and move on to the Lakers unless you unless you guys have anything else on Philly. Well, I just have one more question for Nikias here. Uh, what do you do uh, as we sort of put this picture together? What do you do with Markel Fultz? Um, because uh, I mean, you're committed to him. I mean, essentially, I mean, it's basically a four year deal. Uh, he's going to be making more than eight million dollars next year, and and we don't really know if that was a mental thing with him or a physical thing with him last season. And I also question if you're going to bring in LeBron and you've got Fultz and Simmons, uh, whether that's overkill. I mean, what, and you can't really you, trade him because his value's never been lower. 
Right. So, I mean, so what, uh, what do you, I mean, did you see anything you liked from him this season? What kind of player is he going to be in the NBA if he at least figures the mental thing out? Um, if he figures the mental thing out, I don't have much doubt that he's going to become an all-star at some point. I'm still very high on him. He's such an explosive player with the ball in his hands, and he has high-level pick-and-roll vision. And I think this is a high pick-and-roll league, and he can already break defenders down and get to the line. He's going to have to figure out the shot, but I think he already sees the game well. So I'm I'm not ready to give up on him. Now, in terms of what Philly does this offseason, I think you do dangle him and see if you if OKC bites with Paul George in an opt-in and trade. You see if San Antonio is serious about trading Kawhi Lennon. I don't think they are. But, you know, if they don't reel him back in, maybe he becomes available. See if you can package Fultz and Sarge and whoever else you need to to see if you can get one of those guys. If not, I think you kind of roll with it. Add shooters this offseason, but I don't think you need to do anything huge because I think Fultz is going to be a really good player. All right, so let's move on now to the Los Angeles Lakers. I think that, for me, they're still the most likely LeBron destination, but even outside of that, and we were having an argument about this yesterday in our Five Reasons Twitter DM chat, and I think a lot. I think the guys are basically making the point that the Lakers aren't actually that attractive because what's cap space and young players worth to LeBron? I think it's kind of like the Cleveland situation where the path to stars is pretty clear for the Los Angeles Lakers. They have two max salary spaces, and they can attach either one or even two maybe young players to Luol Deng in order to turn him to maybe even a role player or a a secondary-type star. So I think that the Lakers' path to being good quickly is pretty obvious. And so I'd be curious what you guys think. How likely is the LeBron situation for him? And even without LeBron, if they get Paul George and maybe a secondary player with their cap space, how much further up the Western standings do, they, do you think they can get? Because I think with the right additions, we even without LeBron, they can be third, fourth best team in the West. I would agree that they definitely have a path to add guys. If LeBron wants to go there, I don't think he goes unless he knows Paul George is coming with him. And even if LeBron doesn't come, um, DeMarcus Cousins is out there. And I think because of the injury, and maybe teams not really wanting to commit a long-term deal for him, the Lakers have a path to get him, to outbid some others for him and take a flyer on him. So they can definitely get some star power. Um, I love their young core. Um, I'm high on Lonzo. Um, Brandon Ingram really grew as a distributor and as a scorer. I don't know. I think the Lakers are really um, – they have a path to be one of the better teams in the West this year. Do you think, Nikias, we talk about Lonzo Ball. Um, I mean, I, there's a sideshow issue here with whether LeBron wants to deal with LeVar, which, uh, again, I'm, I'm looking beyond the basketball here and wondering how that's going to fit. But, again, I, I look at on-court fit, too. Um, and Lonzo is a playmaker. I mean, that's that's his skill set. Like, I mean, he's – I mean. He's going to give you, you know, Jason Kidd triple doubles. Um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, when, when you look at his his high end value and if he improves the shot, obviously, then, you know, some of the scoring numbers will come also. But I can see him as a guy who's who's given you 12, nine and 12 uh, on a consistent basis. How does his game fit with LeBron's? Because we talk a lot about how LeBron's game would fit with Simmons. I don't feel like as many people are addressing how LeBron's game would fit with Lonzo. Because when you look at LeBron's career, and this was the same for Dwayne, and it was the same for Kobe. Kyrie was a real departure for LeBron uh, and those guys. Like The guys that Jordan played with were guy in the backcourt were guys like B.J. Armstrong and Steve Kerr and Paxson and Hodges, right? I mean, guys who were basically, I mean... They were twos, essentially. I mean, they were they were listed as ones, but they were essentially off-ball players. Uh, in Miami, Mario Chalmers, right, was a spot-up shooter for the most part and defend. Um, and even in Cleveland the first time around, you know, you look at, uh, for LeBron, you know, Eric Snow and, and Mo Williams and some of those pieces. I, he didn't play with guys who sort of needed to dominate the ball. Um, and the same was true for Kobe. I mean, Derek Fisher won a ton of rings playing next to mm-hmm. Kobe, right? And Derek Fisher was not a playmaker. L- Lonzo Ball is a playmaker um, in the same way that Ben Simmons is a playmaker. How does that fit for LeBron if he goes out there? Just to address the off-ball part first, I think if LeBron can go back to Dan Gilbert, he can deal with anyone. <laughs> so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not worried about the LeVar Ball thing. Um, on court, I think what separates a guy like Lonzo to Ben Simmons is that Ben Simmons dominates the ball. Bonzo is a ball mover. He pushes it ahead in transition. He's not going to pound it into the dirt to make something happen and pick and roll. He's going to see something open up, and he's going to hit it. And I think LeBron would enjoy playing with a guy that sees the floor um, a frame and a half or two frames ahead. The more worrisome thing would be the shot. 
Like I said, he shot 30% from three before the All-Star break and 31% afterwards. But, you know, rookies do shoot poorly in their rookie year. That's not really a big surprise. But, you know, Lonzo has that awkward form. So you would really have to trust in him improving as a spot-up shooter to make that fit work. But, I mean, he's a rangy defender. He's a smart player. Um, he definitely showed some growth attacking closeouts in the second half of the year. So I don't think the fit is awful, but you really need to bank on him shooting well. Do you think that if they didn't turn the young players into assets and then they had them play with LeBron, so it's kind of a lineup of Ball, LeBron, Ingram, Kuzma, and you know a fifth, whether that's George or whether that or whoever that might be, do you think that would be attractive, or do you think LeBron, in the stage that he's at in his career, would want those young players turned into veterans? Um, I would probably think he leans veterans just because of the age. If this was 2010 LeBron, then maybe he tries to make this work for at least a year, and then he, you know, goes back door and tries to make some do make some moves. But yeah, at this stage, I think he tried to package at least two of them. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think for me, and, and that's the flexibility, right? Now they don't have their pick this year, but they kind of they're, they're done, kind of giving away their picks, so they can use their picks. They can use three really talented young players that I think are attractive to the rest of the league to go and flip their current core for something that becomes immediately attractive. I think if you had said to a lot of people in 2010, well, what's Miami going to turn their current roster into? You wouldn't have seen it. But I think Palinka and Magic Johnson have had the vision now for a long time. And frankly, the trade that they made with Cleveland just only accelerated that anymore. The only thing they have left to do is figure out the Luol Deng situation, whether that's a stretch provision or attaching the young players to get off him. But I think Mm-hmm. They're, in, they're in a perfect position to go forward. As we move now to kind of the last thing that we wanted to close with here. So we kind of got to, to me, who are the four main favorites to build obvious contenders to LeBron. So let's kind of go rapid fire, rapid fire through some of the other options, particularly the potential LeBron destinations. Want to start with San Antonio because the Kawhi thing is in the air and whether they're going to trade him. And now there's reports about Popovich wanting to meet with LeBron. What, Ethan, what kind of seriousness do you think those rumors come with? Do you think LeBron would actually want to go and play for Popovich? And, and even though it's in San Antonio, do you think that might still be attractive to him? I think he'll meet with Pop if Pop wants to meet with him. Uh, there's just incredible respect there. And it's not just about Pop the coach. It's about the fact that Pop was the one coach in the NBA who stood out there for LeBron when LeBron was taking all that garbage uh, from the national media when he came to Miami. Like, Pop was consistent about that. He was strong about that. He was, he was, he was, he went at the media for LeBron in a way that nobody else in the league did. And add to that the fact that he's one of the top three coaches in NBA history. Um, I, I don't think there's any question if he wants to meet with LeBron, he will meet with him. Also, uh, Murray is a clutch client also. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, beyond uh, Kawhi, uh, that's San Antonio's most promising player. And so uh, he's already taken him under his wing. So I think there would definitely be interest there. Um, now, San Antonio as a city, as a destination for LeBron, that I don't know. Um, I mean, Houston is a little bit easier to kind of digest. If he's going to go to Texas, more likely Houston. NBA players really like playing in Houston. It's uh, Whenever I've talked to NBA guys, it's kind of a top 8 to 10 NBA city. I don't know that San Antonio ranks quite that high. Uh, the other issue with San Antonio, of course, is, uh, I mean, it, it's a high expectations city. I don't think that would bother LeBron as much. He had tremendous respect for Duncan, uh, so I, I think that would be positive. But And LeBron can build his brand anywhere. I mean, after all, he built it in Cleveland, of all places. But uh, right, but but I, I think if you're talking about one of those two situations, Houston or San Antonio, I think Houston uh, would be more likely. I, I think when you look at their roster, um, you know, when you look at what they have committed, now we're assuming that Kawhi gets, I mean, we're assuming if LeBron goes there, He's only going there because because Le- Kawhi's staying and getting the supermax, right? Like, I mean, he's not. LeBron's not going to go there uh, without without Kawhi there. I-, I just wonder what they could put around him. Now, I know that the Spurs have been the best team in the league. I think the Heat has caught up a little recently, but the Spurs have been the best team in the league in terms of developing players sort of out of nowhere uh, and making them viable NBA players. So maybe they find a couple more gems and add them to the rotation. But when I look at the rest of their roster, again, Tony Parker is even going to play again. Uh, Manu's done. Uh, Rudy Gay, you know, they got pretty decent production out of him last year. Danny Green, they've been trying to move for a couple of years. He's got a $10 million player option. Uh, so, and then LaMarcus, uh, who had a bounce back year. Is there, uh, if, in, in your opinion, Nikias, if, if LeBron went to San Antonio playing for Pop, 
can they challenge the Warriors? Uh, it would really depend on what they put around them. They would need a lot of shooters, I think. Um, just having Kawhi and Aldridge there kind of built. It kind of goes into that whole abusing mismatch thing. Both guys can score with the ball in their hands. Um, they both can post up and get buckets that way. But, um, yeah, I'm kind of concerned about the rest of the roster because it's a mix of old guys and guys that don't fit with LeBron. Like we talk about Murray being their most um, promising young player, and I agree with that, but also he is an awful shooter. And he's still growing as an actual point guard. He's still um, learning to see the floor better and make better decisions with the ball. So I'm not sure what that fit would look like. Um, and kept, yeah, San Antonio doesn't have much money to work with, even if they could land LeBron. They would have to try to look into trading maybe Powell and see if he can turn him into a wing that can shoot. And maybe you could just because the last year of his deal, I think, is partially guaranteed. But I, it would take a lot of work for San Antonio to challenge Golden State. All right, so let's move on to another candidate. And frankly, they're only in the conversation because they're in the LeBron conversation because they already had him, and that's the Miami Heat. Ethan, I, I don't see the path to LeBron James in Miami unless he really decides that he wants to be here and forces the opt-in and trade. That, for me, is the only way that this can happen. Do you think that's even a remote possibility? I mean, I'm going to say it is because uh, we're, we're sports by Miami for Miami. So, <laughs> so, no, so, no, we're not. We're, you're uh, not doing this because you're pandering. Uh, all right, come uh, on. I, no, no, we are, actually. That's why we're including them. And people are already <laughs> having LeBron sightings at Aventura at the, uh, at the Chipotle. But, um, yeah, look, I, I, I just it's just hard for me to see it. I mean, I think if Pat hadn't gone crazy last offseason with all the, uh, you know, the long term deals, uh, which I, to me don't look so great right now. We talked about they'd be movable. But I well look, when Lou Williams signed for three years at 24, uh, some of the other contracts that Miami signed uh, don't look terrific with a flattening cap. So I, I don't know how they reshuffle it. Here's my issue with it from a basketball perspective. I mean, uh, look, the legacy perspective is another thing. Like, does, does, does LeBron really want to come back to Miami to try to top what he did before and to come back without, uh, you know, having two stars, you know, one of whom in Bosch was in his prime and another one in Wade who was kind of on the back edge of his prime? Like, does he want to come back to a worse roster than he had before and try to top his previous accomplishments that he's always going to be compared to? I mean, in Cleveland, at least he had a fresh slate, like, and he hadn't won a title there. So, I mean, he could go back to Cleveland and, like, if he won a title, it was better than what he did before. And if he didn't, it was what he did before. Now, if he goes back to Miami and doesn't win a title, it kind of tarnishes the whole experience. So, I, that's part of it for me. Another thing is, does he really want to sort of subject himself to an organization that uh, is run really, really well, but also is run really, really well? Like, it's not just going to turn, they're just not going to turn themselves over to LeBron, uh, even now, the way that Cleveland did. So, but from a basketball perspective, I look at their team and I say there are there are maybe three, maybe four guys on this team he'd want to play with. Um, like I think Jay Rich would be like a really good fit with him, uh, a guy who could defend wings, take that off of LeBron's hands and, and can spot up shoot, can create a little bit off the dribble. Like I like has the right kind of personality to play with LeBron. Like I, I think he'd be a good fit. I know LeBron likes justice. Uh, like I, I had him on a radio interview in 2015 after uh, justice was drafted. And I, I know that he uh, he's fond of justice in terms of his game. So maybe, maybe that would be a fit. And I think bam is the type of big that would work really well with LeBron. But I look at the rest of the roster. He basically contributed to Dion getting traded out of Cleveland. Um, I, you know, I mean, James Johnson. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. A Linux, I think his game would fit OK. Uh, you know, Dragic, I know he has respect for, but I just don't think there's an as I look at it. I, I just from basketball, let's, let's take all the drama out of it. But from a basketball perspective, like how would that even work? And who would the Heat need to keep for it to be worthwhile for LeBron? Um, I think that's that's where I struggle with it, because I think the guys that you would want to place around him, you know, he needs shooters. And I think a guy like Tyler Johnson will work wonderfully all ball with him. He's a guy you would kind of have to trade in like an op, in like one of those opt in deals if you even landed LeBron. Right. Well, to me, the thing about the opt in and trade that makes it totally implausible is. LeBron is going to be on $35 million, so if you're going to match that, you're going to have to give them back $35 million in salary. If you're LeBron and you go to the Cavs and say, either you, either you know, I opt in and then you trade me or I leave, if I'm clean, I'll be like, well, then leave, because if, if you're going to take back $35 million back in salary that you know is going to be on the books this year, like, I would only trade for non-guaranteed deals, because then 
their payroll's at $139 million if they take back yeah. what, what, what they need. And so they're going to be paying a ton of luxury tax for a team that might not even make the playoffs. Like, if LeBron comes to you and says, either I opt in and, and, and you trade me or I leave, I'd be like, okay, well then leave because I'm not taking back <laughs> luxury tax dollars to, to facilitate a trade when I might not even get anything good in return. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I think ultimately that's one of the biggest reasons that he isn't coming here. So just taking the money out of it, um, I think he would need to play with Tyler Johnson because he can shoot. Um, Josh Richardson, like Ethan said, because he's a guy that can take on the toughest wing assignments and kind of save him on that route. Um, I'm kind of torn on Hassan because I think he's the kind of um, role threat that LeBron has never really played with. I mean, I guess who's the best roller he's played with? Tristan Thompson and Chris Anderson? Mm-hmm. I mean, that... Yeah, and he loved he loved Bird. I mean, absolutely loved Bird. Um, just and and we saw what happened. They were they were thirty seven and uh, they were thirty seven and three after Bird had and, arrived and, and Hassan, in the twelve thirteen season. And if Hassan was better with Dwayne trying to feed him, I think LeBron would no doubt try and, and get him involved. If he's if he's not totally frustrated by him, like there's certainly <laughs> there is no doubt Deion Waiter's potential with Hassan Whiteside. But I feel like if LeBron tried to get Hassan on side, I feel like that could work at least in the regular season until. Uh, maybe teams will start to pick on him defensively in the playoffs. Yeah, I think if LeBron can get Hassan motivated for 80% of the season, I think he gets a statue before Dwayne does. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... uh, all right, all right. So b- before we get out of here, is are there any other teams that you feel like are either clear LeBron candidates or candidates to mount a challenge towards the Golden State Warriors? Ethan, I'll start with you. Um, no, I don't. Uh, I, I think we've covered it, honestly. Um, I think you look at the Western Conference. I just don't think it's as strong as it's been before. Um, I think New Orleans would need a lot of things to break right around Anthony Davis, and that means re-signing Boogie and him being completely healthy from the beginning. But Achilles injuries are really difficult to come back from, particularly for bigs. Uh, even with Drew Holiday's development, I, I don't know that they have enough there. I don't see another team in the West. I, Minnesota has to sort of figure out how the pieces fit, and we don't even know if Wiggins is going to be there. And in the East, I mean, we're, we're sort of all throwing Toronto to the side uh, because, you know, because they duped us because again. Because it's in Canada. Uh, well, because it, it's, it, it's in Canada. I know Chris Haynes actually threw out Toronto as an option for LeBron. I can't imagine that. I mean, as I said, he owns the country already, but I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't know about him going there. But uh, no, and, and I know, I know, uh, you know, we've got Nakia on, so I feel like we sort of need to mention uh, the Chris Middleton-led <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks, uh, but uh, but I don't know that they quite have the right mix right now. So no, I, I don't, I don't see another team either for LeBron uh, or or overall. I, I don't buy this stuff with the Knicks. I don't think he's going to the Knicks just because Fizz is there. Um, so I, I don't see that. So, no, I, I think these are the teams. I mean, the one team we haven't mentioned is Cleveland. Um, oh, and I fair. guess, you, you know, you know, <laughs> and I, I, you know, and I, I guess real quick, Nikias, I mean, I, I, their cap sheet is like as big a mess. It may be a bigger mess than the Heats, honestly. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's just awful. I mean, they've got more money committed to J.R. Smith. They've, I mean, the Jordan Clarkson contract from the Lakers. It's just it's terrible. Uh, it, do you just, uh, just real quick here, Nikias, is there anything you think Cleveland can do around LeBron uh, to make them a more serious threat if he decided to come back? Uh, I mean, their best bet would be trying to package eight with something. Maybe try to throw their hat in the ring for Paul George. If not, um, I think you have to go smaller, look around the league for some guys on one or two-year deals that fit that kind of switch defense that they tried to employ against Golden State and failed miserably in. Um, maybe call up Brooklyn, see if you can snatch DeMar Carroll out of there. Um. Look at Denver, a guy like Wilson Chandler, see if he's available. You'd have to they'd have to go wing heavy because I think their lack of playable wings really hurt them in the finals. Is there is there um, inter- is there internal improvement on for Rodney Hood to where he can play? Like cuz to me it didn't make sense that he couldn't even get on the floor in the series. Um he's always been an up and down guy and he has the tools to be a three-level scorer with some playmaking ability. So I think there's definitely a path for him to improve. I'm not sure if he can make like a Victor Oladipo type leap, but I think there's room for him to be a serviceable starter. Um, it, I'm really curious to see what he's going to get on the open market because he was so bad during the playoffs. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, there's room for him to grow, but I just don't know if he's going to get that opportunity, especially with LeBron looming large over Cleveland. I mean, if he does leave, and I think we all expect him to leave at this point, um, I'm not sure if Cleveland wants to try to invest that money. I think they'd rather just blow everything up at that point. 
All right, he is on Twitter at Nikias NBA. Check him out with Miami Heat B. Check him out at Basketball Breakdown at B Ball Breakdown on Twitter. Nikias Duncan, appreciate the time, man. Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. Again, subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play. Check out the other podcasts in the network. Follow us on Twitter at Five Reasons Sports. That'll do it for this edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details